We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Road trip and stuff. We are live. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. And back, Jack Manuel. Jack, I'm happy to have you back. How are you doing, bro? It is uh, wonderful to be back, especially off a Nets win. And Nick, before we get into the, the game details, what was the better celebration? The Jared Dudley Shook or the Theo Pinson freestyle? I think that Theo Pinson, like the fact he was just lying. I loved it. Like, I was like, what? Uh, you know, the Jared Allen thing, I think we've probably seen before. It's like something you might do at like the park of your boys, like hot. But like Theo Pinson, like, dude, I've never seen that in my entire life. So props to you for getting creative. He was literally swimming, like on a basketball <laughs> court, swimming. But I mean, when, when the Nets were swimming in in the good times and, and the good players from Dealer, especially in that third quarter. Yeah, picked up the W over Boston, which is always great, obviously, with the narrative over the last few seasons. 110-96. Obviously, no Kyrie or Al Horford for them, but we don't really care. It was a much-needed W for the Nets because they're in a tight territory right now for that playoff seeding. Yeah, I mean, there was updates throughout the night. You know, the Knicks doing hopefully can do us a favor and continue their, their lead over the Miami Heat um, in the second quarter. The Pacers, thankfully, Corey's boys uh, have a little bit of a lead on the Magic. And the Portland have a very slim lead over Detroit right now. So if those three results go our way, it's uh, it's a pretty nice Saturday evening, your time, Sunday morning, mine. Yeah, if they can, you know, at least get two of the three of those teams to lose tonight, that'd be big because the race is close. You know, it's a half game here, a half game there, you know, up and down. So they just need to take care of business. And an opportunity like this without Kyrie and Al Horford, I was very happy the Nets were able to capitalize. Obviously, first half wasn't amazing. But you mentioned that third quarter from D'Angelo Russell was just straight fuego. And uh, SSV jumping in as always. What started to work in that third quarter, Nick? I guess we'll delve into it directly. Obviously, it was D'Lo and, and I think some other plays. I like Trivion Graham out there as well, underrated in that third quarter as uh, too. Yeah, I thought um, D'Lo obviously 
just started hitting shots. You know, he was hitting some deep threes. He started getting things going. Trevion Graham started the third quarter because Rodion's left the game with the knee contusion. So I thought he played some good defense on Jason Tatum. And I also thought the zone did a good job of kind of stagn- uh, stagnating um, Boston's offense. But when you have a player like D'Angelo, this is the second time he's done this against Boston this season. He was at a point where he was just straight fuego and he was hitting everything. It didn't matter where he was on the court. 20 of his 29 points came in that quarter. It was reminiscent of the Sacramento Kings quarter. Um, just all like the threes, the, the weird fl- the floaters, the rainbow shots. Um, it, it seems to me that just this is – if he can like have this – he did it in 30 minutes. He had 29 points in 30 minutes. Um, I think a few guys, including our boy Flatbush in Atlantic, were a little bit frustrated the fact that he wasn't kept out there for a little bit longer. I get it with the sort of stretch of games coming up at the same time, uh, and it just didn't necessarily affect the result, but – uh, D'Angelo Russell is becoming uh, one of the more dangerous individual individual offensive players. And uh, with Kyrie Irving not out there, Al Holford not protecting the sort of rim and sort of uh, holding down the defensive end, D'Angelo sort of just had his own way in that. And, and again, the Boston Celtics, even without their, their two best players, are still a really talented and especially cohesive defensive team. So for Dilla to do that in the third was just uh, pretty remarkable. And I also really liked his passing tonight. There was a couple of dimes out there. You know, a couple of them got missed by some of the Nets players, but the one to Jared Allen where he hit him in, you know, transition for that dunk, that was beautiful. Uh, it was awesome. And I love the the Portland, as they call it, the Joe Harris play, the backdoor sort of play. I think it's a very easy underrated play that you can sort of scout for, but you can't use it too often. So when it is used, it's always executed by, by those two guys, you know, my, two of my favorite players. Um, so I think that there's... The, the synergy in that third quarter, you know, the Nets sort of, that, that first half was, you know, sloppy to say the least. And then that third quarter, things started to pop off. And, you know, D'Angelo Russell lived that Barclays crowd. He was uh, very appreciative of it. And, you know, it, it just seems to me that the energy, the in, sort of the intangible part of basketball, you know, D'Angelo just has this aura and swagger about him that not a lot of other players have. And, you know, that rainbow shot is something that no one really does. I was just like, it was a little bit unnecessary at the yeah, same time. Yeah, it really was. It was he like, could have just regular kind of laid it in, but he was like, yeah. you know what? let's get horse with it. Well, let's <laughs> just go all the way up. And I'm just like, do it, my dude. Just do it up. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, we see Steph do it sometimes like after the whistle, but D'Lo does it actually during the game. And I thought actually his jumper picked up a little bit of arc in that third quarter too. And I think that might have been a reason why they started to drop. Yeah, I think that, you know, early on his shot wasn't falling. Some people were criticizing him for taking too many threes. But uh, I think basketball is a game of runs individually and collectively. Um, and, and D'Lo just needed that halftime break for him to sort of get himself set. You know, the, he does a lot of his magic in, in, in like one quarter bursts and, um, you know, eight minutes essentially, 20 points in eight minutes, um, taken off in those final few minutes with Jared Allen as well. But uh, moving on to Carlos Levert, SSV's jumped in again, Nicholas. Um, what has been the key to his change? I know that you watch him closer probably than any other player in the NBA. I think his confidence. Like he just looks a lot more aggressive in terms of attacking the rim and picking his spots and more willing to kind of go at guys. He just felt confident attacking some of the Celtics players. We talked about this a little bit off air. Even when he gets in the in the lane and misses his layup, it gives the opportunity for a Jared Allen or an Ed Davis to clean up. So I was really happy we saw Karis LeVert play. And I think he had even four steals tonight. So that defense is having a big impact too. Yeah, and I love the fact that he's getting to the line again. You know, yes. pre, pre-injury, pre he was getting to the line at will. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie wasn't able to do it as much tonight, despite, you know, playing 24 minutes, his shot was off. 
And Coach Kenny just uh, gave the reins to Karis Levert with that sort of second unit and playing with D'Lo. And, you know, he repaid him, you know, 5-13 from the field, 15 points, those four steals, as you mentioned, and got to the line six times. Um, I, I think that if he can get, if you, I think that's going to be a key step for him for the rest of the season. If he gets to the line four times or more in each game, I guarantee you it's going to be a good game from Karis Levert. Yeah, and I think it's good for the Nets, too. Obviously, if Spencer did what he can get going at the same time, he gets the line as well. He did a little bit more in the first half. So having a combination of all three of those guys, you know, usually having two of them there at the same time, puts a lot of pressure on the defense. You know, you usually have one elite perimeter defender. Some teams have two, but it's really unlikely or you have two very good ones. The Nets were able to kind of find their mismatches and attack some of these guys and get themselves in a favorable situation. Yeah, and I think that it's... It's it's the right time that these sort of things are happening. Karras is doing some really nice things. His confidence looks good. His handle looks good. And his defense is fitting his offense, as you sort of mentioned, Nick. But um, I, I think all around that sort of last half, and, and it started in that second quarter, you know, in, in the second and third, um, 65 points uh, to 49. So that's where it all sort of began. Um, there was, it was a game of runs early on, but Boston just really couldn't find the offense. And, you know, some of the Nets' defensive things, including that zone, um, really had an effect on, on Boston's offense and ability to make shots. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, obviously without Kyrie, they don't necessarily have the shot makers. And sometimes the zone forced them to get a little stagnant. Or a lot of times Boston felt like they had a mismatch, but the Nets did a great job either individually or as a team defense preventing them from getting a good shot. I feel I don't know the points in the paint off the top of my head, but I feel like the Nets did a good job protecting the paint tonight. Yeah, I think that Jared Allen, that uh, wedgie block was pretty <laughs> awesome. And That's like I, the rarest thing. you I, Like, I don't think I've ever seen a wedgie block quite like that one. No, it was quite forceful. And I, and I think the cameras didn't show it. Oh, I'm not sure if the camera showed it. I might have gone to, to pee or go get a drink. Um, but Jared Allen looked like he was like shaking his finger a little bit or to be a little <laughs> bit confident, given a little bit of um, hard time to the Rook and Robert Williams. Uh, the points in the paint tonight, Nick, were 42 to 40 in favor of Boston. So pretty even sort of matchup in that sort of respect. But um, they have a lot more rangier sort of athletic wings. And if you're looking at Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they obviously didn't play great. You know, Gordon Hayward, obviously, as well. But the fact that, you know, we had Carlos LeVert going, um, you know, D'Angelo Russell just doing his thing. And, you know, Jared Allen uh, drawing plenty of fouls as well was um, a nice sight. Yeah, I think even though they might not have necessarily won the points in the paint uh, in terms of actual points, I think the free throw line, getting to the line a lot, had a big impact on that. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think that you just, the mentality and, and the shift, um, it was just, you could sort of see. And I think that you know, this gives you momentum going forward into uh, a really crucial stretch of games. And hopefully Giannis um, can stay out a couple more with that um, ankle injury because uh, it would be uh, certainly beneficial. And I think Coach Kenny said before the game that, you know, it's March Madness right now. I think the Nets need a little bit of luck. And in, in that sort of sense, we got it tonight with Kyrie Irving and Al Horford. Woke, I woke up to the Bleach Report notification. I'm like, yes, this gives us a massive chance uh, because those two guys are great. You know, top 20 players uh, on any given night. And Al Horford is just a master when it comes to the playoffs. So um, I, I don't want to match up against the Boston Celtics in the playoffs for sure. Um, but if these at least our destiny is in our own hands, um, mm -hmm. just speaking a, a little more broadly, we win games, then you know we're going to make the playoffs, and it's going to make me happy because then I get to go to a, play a Nets playoff game <laughs> for the first time in my life. Um, so uh, I think that the fact that we've got that, and the fact that the guys recognize it and seem to be embracing it in a way, you know, not shying away from it, um, there's certainly 
I think that there's a, a, a lot of a broad scope on Ed's Twitter in the sense that some people are just like, look, we weren't expected to do this. So even if we make it, it's a, it's a result. Or if we don't make it, let's not get despondent. But I think that's the wrong mentality to have. When you are you have something in reach, you don't want to just go, ah, oh, well, I, I didn't expect to get it. So like, if I get it, cool. Uh, I, I think you want to really go hard at it. And I think that this team is uh, really motivated to do so. Guys like Jared Dudley, Ed Davis, Damari Carroll have got our young guys ready to go and, and performing. And the guys at the bench just doing their thing. The, the chemistry is what's really going to drive us. Yeah, and I think your goals change as the season progress. You know, after that winning streak and after the stretch they had after December into January, like now it's not, all right, you know, we weren't supposed to make the playoffs. It's like we're in position to make the playoffs. We've held a playoff seed pretty much for the since 2019 started, so we need to make the playoffs. I think it's kind of a cop-out to say it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and I think the hardest thing is um, you'd rather finish the season on an easy stretch than a tough stretch yeah. because that's when the, that's when you know teams like the the Jazz I think have a pretty easy stretch and they're starting to find their way up the standings that's when injuries start to happen guys start to rest you know we see LeBron with the live laugh load management I think that's what I'm going to call it um, <laughs> live laugh load yeah we did drop the crazy NBA outlet just a quick shout out to us yesterday that was like randomly just decided to drop an hour pod on a Friday night so check that out but Jack go ahead uh, it was yeah I, I think that you would rather obviously have that the way it is but at the same time, if we're looking at it from the, the other perspective, it, it gets you really playoff ready. These games, every single game is a playoff game. And I don't think that there have been more important games since I've been a net supporter, um, which is about you know three or four years or so now. So you know to play in those sort of games with such high stakes, um, if you win these, it's going to leave you in a great position heading into a possible playoff series. Jack, let's talk about some of the other guys tonight. I thought Damari Carroll, even though he didn't necessarily have the most amazing numbers, had a pretty good impact in this game, just being that vet out there. Yeah, I think that he is probably... We need to find a way to keep Damari Carroll next year. <laughs> I don't know what it is, um, what sort of money he's going to be looking for, what his priority, priorities are. Um, but he has just been so important to this team and, and what he provides. You know, 29 minutes, um, I, I think as a starter, he's had a, a great impact. And, you know... I don't think you look at the box score when you look at Damari Carroll and his impact. Similar with Jared Dudley. You know, Jared Dudley, 23 minutes as well. He might have only had six points, a couple of rebounds here and there, but some of those rebounds and some of these, um, he had a nice sort of um, turnover play on, on Jalen Brown when the ball was going out of bounds. Those hustle players that you, and, and smart high IQ players that you expect from your vets. Um, there are plenty of other teams that could use that heading into a, a playoff race um, that, that's sure to be hotly contested. So I think that those, our, our vets are really starting to set the standard and, you know, when you see that from your guys that have been around, uh, been around the ways for you know a, a nigh on a decade, then it really sort of inspires and motivates you, you guys who have only been around the league for four or five years to sort of really um, lift their game, so to speak. Yeah, and they've probably never been in this situation where games matter. You know, you look at a lot of guys on the roster like D'Angelo Russell, Karis LaVerta, Jared Allen, you are never really competing for the playoffs. So some to definitely consider, and you mentioned Dudley, just doing the small things out there. But I thought Joe Harris had another solid game, obviously. You know, he's always out there contributing. And last game, he kind of started to heat up again. thought his off-ball movement was such a huge impact in this game, especially with the way that Boston was so aggressive on the perimeter. Yeah, I think that that leads to open layups for him. And I think a lot of 
people, I think they've recognized by now that he's not just a three-point shooter. And the fact that if he was, I don't think his percentages would be as great anyway, because if you're just a pure three-point shooter, like we, we see JJ Reddick and Kyle Korver, those guys know how to do more than just shoot the three. It's what they do with, and, and sort of opens up their three-point shots, their ability to drive and be a little bit shifty. And Joe Harris has is similar to those guys, but is a little bit stronger. Um, I think Kyle Korver is a little bit taller. JJ is a little bit shorter and has a, a quicker sort of sharper release, can get shots off um, with a little more off balance but Joe Harris has like more strength and, and a better driving ability in terms of you know he, he there's times where he'll handle the ball up the court as well he doesn't have the slickest dribble in the world he's not doing any between the leg moves but he's just solid and, and I think that you know you want that in any sort of bench guy any sort of role player one of the best role players in the NBA you know you look at sort of uh, other sort of playoff teams that have these sort of players. You know, Danny Green is so important to what the Toronto Raptors are doing. Uh, I think Joe Harris is a, is a similar sort of vein to, to what the Nets are right now. Yeah, I would love to see his on-off numbers because it just seems like he has such a positive impact. And defensively, like we've talked about, he's not amazing, but he does the small things. He just plays solid out there. He puts himself in a position that helps the team win. Yeah, and I think that's all you got to do, you know. Yeah, the the cliche is, you know, you just play winning basketball. You know, it's a very generalistic term, but winning basketball is just making plays in the defensive end, getting back in transition, which Joe Harris does. Um, he almost fouled out, but he was smart enough in, in certain plays to sort of get himself out of the way. You know, make shots when they're open and, you know, hit the shots, you know, that you're given and, you know, make the right cuts, make your teammates better and be a leader out there. You know, there's times where, you know, he's near the bench and Coach Kenny's calling plays and it's a, it was a raucous atmosphere there tonight, which it would have been yeah. awesome to be there. Um, and Joe Harris is sort of signaling the calls with the finger movements and hand movements. So uh, I think that the chemistry of this team, I'll say it plenty of times, and I said it about the Indiana Pacers. Uh, I think that in basketball more than any other sport where it's, you know, only 15 guys on a roster, that sort of tight-knit atmosphere compared to, say, you know, an NFL football, an Aussie rules football where there's 40, 50 guys. You don't necessarily need that cohesion, and they're much more reliant on you know, that one quarterback and then a few other sort of star guys, whereas basketball is a team sport. Yes, you need your stars, but if you have team chemistry, that can make up for the lack of superstar talent you have, which the Pacers, the Clippers, and the Nets are doing. And they've all been remarkable stories this season. 100%. I think that's obviously a big impact for the Nets is how they play as a unit, kind of progresses them better than the sum of the parts. So, but Jack, were you surprised that Ronda Hollis-Jefferson didn't get any minutes tonight? A little bit. Um, but uh, I think that Trevion Graham was, despite the fact that um, I think a lot of other people probably wouldn't be as high on him on this game, I, I thought he had a really nice game. You know, plus 18, had a couple free throws, hit his three, and, you know, was rebounding well and just just seemed to be doing the right things at the right time. I think that going forward for the rest of the season, this sort of backup power forward position is going to be by committee. You know, mm -hmm. We'll try Trevor Graham. If he's out there for five minutes and is just not doing the right things, isn't hitting shots, then I think Rondé might get a shot. Um, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see what Coach Kenny values and in, in, in certain matchup, how he sort of goes about it. Obviously, Rodion's little niggly injury, how that sort of affects things as well, whether he plays... Um, as well, maybe Trevion Graham gets inserted into the starting lineup, and then that allows one day to take his sort of backup minutes, which are about 15 or so. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see how it all sort of plays out uh, because when the Nets are playing well, that sort of everyone needs to be, you know, right on board and doing their thing and playing within themselves, which Trevion Graham did tonight, and he was doing everything that was asked of him, and it allowed him to be a net positive. Yeah, yeah, he did. You know, he did his job and he knocked down the three and I thought that was important. If he can knock down his first three, I think it at least puts a little pressure on the defense to defend him. Do you think we are more likely to see Rondé at a small ball five than at a four the rest of the season? Yes, I think that 
Um, that's when he's done his best work against Sacramento. That's when he did his best work uh, against Philly. When I did the breakdown for Nesson Public, that's when he did his best work. Um, I, I think he is more suited uh, to that. And, you know, uh, and I think that he has, we, we sort of spoke about in terms of him being taken out of the rotation initially, that he would have a role to play. We didn't, we couldn't initially forecast it, but I think he hit the nail on the head with the fact that as a small ball five, if Jared Allen or Ed Davis aren't having an impact on the court and, you know, be it up against a Joel Embiid again or a Marcus Sol or, or whoever it might be, a Brooke Lopez, his former teammate. Um, and they're could, gonna, too. That's funny. That'd be funny if they matched up in the playoffs. It'd be pretty funny. I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't lie about that as well. But um, we'll have to wait and see how it all pans out because you know there'll be a few games going forward where Rondé could have a role to play. There could be you know some rest games with Jared Allen or Ed Davis here and there. We'll have to wait and see how it all uh, sort of pans out. But I think Rondé. Um, uh, there was a bit of a discussion in the Nets Republic sort of um, Twitter and in the comments, sort of saying how you know Rondé Hollis Jefferson could be like the spark to sort of really lift the nets in, in this season. I'm not necessarily as big on that. I think it's it's up to our stars and, and I think Carol Savert and these sort of guys have a, a much larger role to play. But I think Rondé, in, in whatever role he does have to play, be it a teammate on the bench as well. I think the, the team loves him, be it on court or off the court. Yeah, I think, you know, the fact that the team was so happy about him hitting that game winner against Sacramento was a big factor, and you can kind of just feel the chemistry from there. But I agree with you. I think the play of the three guards and being D'Lo, Levert, and Dinwiddie is going to, you know, carry the Nets either to the postseason or carry them to a solid postseason series. That's going to be the big impact. Like I said, you know, if they can get two out of the three of those guys playing good on whatever night it is, they have a chance to win the game. Nick, regular guest and co-host, Will Jackson. If Brody <laughs> misses a game, who starts? I think I hinted at um, Trevion. Um, yeah. Karras or Trevion, I think, are the most likely ones. I would probably say against Milwaukee, they'd probably go with Trevion. I would think, especially because he started the second half, and I think I like the chemistry and the rotation that Kenny's running with, you know, Karras Levert getting some time with Dewey, Karras Levert getting some time with D'Lo. You don't want to necessarily mess it up. If you're going to change it all around, I guess you better do it now. But I think right now it would just make more sense because Rodion's injury doesn't seem serious. It seems like, if anything, he'd probably miss a game or two. Yeah, and I think that the Nets are ultra-conservative. We know that. We're not going to hear anything. We know Alan Crabb is probably out for the season as well. Um, do you, you think know, he's just, out for the season? Like, do you think it would actually be a terrible thing? Because now it's like if you bring back Alan Crabb, it kind of could mess up your rotations and your flow where it's like maybe just sit him out the rest of the season, especially if his knee is just nagging. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's probably out. I mean, we don't necessarily know anything other than the fact that he's not even practicing. Um, so in terms of the fact that, you know, there's barely two weeks to go till the end of the season, um, and then obviously you've got playoffs uh, probably starting around that sort of two-week mark. Um, if he's not even practicing yet, you know, he's probably lost a little bit of conditioning as well. And, you know, you would rather have, and I, I think it's odd to say, and a, a lot of people might criticize me for this, you'd rather have Trevion Graham or Ronda Hollis-Jefferson out there because they're at least in the flow, they're in the team chemistry, they're not sort of, don't need to be reintegrated into anything. And especially in a playoff series, you want to sort of have the, a semblance of consistency. Uh, and especially in that sort of latter part of the season, you know, the, the paces and the heat matchup, you know, you don't, obviously don't want to show your full card and full deck. But at the same time, you know, the Nets are going to have to put everything out there just to get back in and sort of solidify themselves as a playoff contender. So um, I think Alan Crabb is done. Um, I don't think it's that much of a loss. And, you know, his, his future going forward um, is going to be a question that we'll probably talk about in, in plenty of off-season previews. Yeah, 100%. And honestly, I kind of agree with you, Jack. I think it might make sense to just keep him out, especially it's a knee injury that's bothering him for a while. He had the fluid drained, and obviously his knee's not reacting right. So there's no confidence that he's going to be back in time. Like you mentioned, brought up a great point. The conditioning is going to be off. 
he's already been out a couple weeks now. Like he's his he's probably not going to be 100 right. His jumper wasn't even falling when he was in there, so it might make sense. And then when you get into the playoffs, anyways, the rotation is going to get cut. You know, maybe they stay at the same amount of guys, but the minutes are higher for the starters. Yeah, the minutes are way higher for the stars. And I think that it sort of bodes well for a team like the Bucks and the Nets, who, you know, are quite sort of liberal in how they sort of limit their star guys' minutes. You know, a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo, it's like 32 minutes, um, which I know Corey mentioned uh, on, on the outlet as well. And his per 36 numbers are just outrageous. Whereas, you know, you go to guys like, you know, LeBron James, James Harden, um, these sort of superstars and Blake Griffin, who are playing 38 plus minutes, you know, it, it's going to leave them because... The, the, the regular season is a, is taxing. And, you know, the Toronto Raptors as well with their sort of, you know, load management with Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry, all those sort of guys. I, I think it's going to leave them in better stead um, come playoff time. You'd rather be well-rested and, and have that full energy for uh, a possible seven-game series than sort of, you know, sort of uh, hobbling in there and sort of, you know, just making, making up the numbers. Yeah, and another positive talking about rest, and that's only have five games remaining across the rest of the season, which is 11 days. So... Plenty of time to get some rest in there, too. So these guys should be ready long as they solidify that playoff seed. It, it could end up being a nice advantage. And I've brought this up on a couple of shows. They haven't played a ton of games in the last 30 days compared to some of these other teams that are trying to squeeze all these games in and having to play some of their starters' big minutes. Yeah, it's. I think it's one of the things that's been mentioned consistently. I think I'm going to give you credit for bringing it up first because you get you brought it up You know, not, not just recently, but a few weeks ago in terms of how it's sort of going to, sort of going to affect the Nets and sort of one of your key stats. And, and I think it's, it's sort of starting to come into play now, how it comes into play in this pointy part of the season when it starts to really matter and only you know, the final five games, it's going to be you know, really telling. Um, but I wouldn't mind touching on, on Jared Allen's game as well, Nick. I don't think we gave him enough credit he wasn't you know amazing in any sort of sense of the word you know 10 points you know seven rebounds three assists a couple of blocks obviously including that awesome wedgie block um but i think that he did a lot of things that you know he gets crucified for on net sweat in terms of his physicality yeah, I feel like actually Nets Twitter overreacts to Jared Allen. Yeah, bigs have huge games against the Nets, but the way the Nets play defense is they funnel everything towards him where, like, if he's going to help the guards and contest jumpers, how do you expect him to bounce back against a big that's bigger than him that already has position? It's kind of like asking him to do too much at this age. I thought the first half he had his good and bad moments, and the second half I felt like he even picked it up, played more energy, and just had a real impact out there. He did a really good job of kind of finding his spots, especially when they started doubling D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, and I think he was out there in the moments when it mattered most, when the Nets were going on the runs. Um, him and, you know, he was getting... Plus 25 tonight. Yeah, led the sec- uh, was second in the team with Joe Harris in that sort of department. You know, D'Angelo was third at plus 24. So those three guys were probably our three best players on, on tonight's performance as well. You're checking Carol Silvert there as well. Um, but I think Jared Allen was a, a sort of key factor in allowing D'Angelo Russell to find space and get on his runs and, you know, make his mid-ranges his ridiculous tear jerkers and um, his three-point shots. So I think some credit needs to go there. And some of his screening, I thought, was was really good in terms of the positioning and, and the physicality and, you know, really getting the body on them in terms of, you know, how he was staying low. Uh, and he was rolling hard and he was drawing fouls, you know, eight free throws, six of eight from the line, led the team in that department. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the Celtics weren't great in terms of how they were sort of defending the pick and roll. But at the same time, you know, Jared Allen was forcing them to be bad. Yeah, what we talked about before, I think it was more so early in the season, we play a team that likes to switch a lot. It puts the guard in a position where they have to grab uh, Jared Allen, and that's a foul for the Nets because he's so quick at rolling to the rim, and we know D'Angelo can hit him. So if they're going to switch, they kind of punish him that way. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that he was making some nice kick-out passes. Um, I, I think that his chemistry with the guards is going to be sort of key for, for how things go um, going forward. If he can, you know, find space for Spencer so he can drive and the same for Karras uh, and find space for D'Lo with his mid-ranges and just giving him space and time to make decisions, be it pass or shoot, then I think it's going to make a real impact because we know how Davis brings up physicality, the offensive boards, but if Jared Allen can lift on that department do similar to what he did tonight, then uh, it's going to have a huge role in, in getting some crucial wins in um, these last five games. 100%. And I thought a couple areas where the Nets played well and they haven't in you know the previous games that probably cost them some losses. Free throw line, only missed six free throws tonight. Won the turnover battle, 15-12. to 12. Rebounding-wise, they won the rebounding battle by one. I thought we saw a lot of uh, team rebounding tonight, too. Yeah, the key indicators we sort of talked about and, and harp on, you know, Joe Harris, eight rebounds. Jared Allen, seven rebounds. Um, it, it was just a lot of really good gang rebounding. You know, seven rebounds for Ed Davis as well, three offensive you know, there was a lot of guys who just did their part. You know, there was a lot of guys with two or three rebounds as well. So I think that, you know, when we rebound well, um, we generally play well. It, it sounds very simplistic, but <laughs> it's, a re- it's a really key part of our game um, that we finish the, finish the defensive possessions, box out. And obviously it helps when you don't have to box out. You know, you're boxing out Daniel Tice rather than Joel Embiid, Marc Gasol and, and Brooke Lopez, those sort of guys. Yeah, so yeah, you don't have a, a Nurkage or a Cantor out there, especially going up against both of you guys, making everybody kind of work for it. Jack, anything else you want to touch on for this game or you want to talk a little bit about Milwaukee? No, we can take a chat a little bit about Milwaukee and also the fact that Kyrie was dapping up D'Lo despite the fact that he apparently wants to go to the Nets now rather than New York. <laughs> what a surprise. Not really yeah. for us. But is there any possibility where we could see Kyrie and D'Angelo Russell on the same team? We've spoken about this, and I, I've specifically said that it would be the most ridiculously fun backcourt in the NBA. Both of the guys could just heat up, and it would be insane. I have no idea how it works schematically and stylistically. <laughs> and I think they would probably give um, plenty of headaches to Coach Kenny in the fact that both guys are the most perfect schematic fits in terms of fitting into a system. Uh, Kyrie's done that quite well in Boston and D'Lo obviously we've seen his growth uh, with Coach Kenny as well but uh, I don't really care I mean it's just nice to sort of be you know uh, on that sort of you know in those headlines these sort of days how it works I mean I'm not really focusing on it but um, it's a nice little tidbit of news and the fact that Nets are winning that's all that really matters to me. And it looks good for the Nets in terms of other free agents. Like, oh, Kyrie wants to go there over the Knicks. Maybe I have to reconsider going to the Knicks, and maybe I should look at the Nets a little bit harder. And I think, you know, just having fun with it, you know, maybe Kyrie would go back to more of the role he played in Cleveland where D'Angelo's playing more of the creator and Kyrie's just focusing more on scoring. Obviously, we could dig deeper in this into the in the, the offseason, but let's talk a little Milwaukee Bucks. How do you feel about this game? Obviously, it's not a huge game for the Bucks. They are still trying to solidify the first seed, but – it seems like uh, health is more important, especially with some of the injuries they've had recently. Yeah, I th- I'm hoping that Mike Budenhoser does us um, a, a solid. Like any- <laughs> yeah, just leaves leaves Giannis out, leaves Chris Middleton out. Brooke Lopez needs a night off. He doesn't want to play against his old team. He wants to be nice to us. Um, and you know, <laughs> send out guys like Christian. No, not Christian. But he used to play for the Bucks, but um, they've got a lot of injuries. So I, I think that they're they're gonna obviously gonna be prioritizing health. Um, we're prioritizing, you know, just winning. We need to get there. And, you know, we're not just versing them once more. So I think Giannis is going to play one of these games, if not both of them, because uh, I think Giannis has a real motivation to just get out there and ball. Um, and I, I think it's likely that he plays both of them, um, being pessimistic. But I think that um, if Giannis plays, I'm, I'm not really expecting a win against the Milwaukee Bucks because he's just so damn good. We cannot defend him. There is no way to defend him. 
There is no way to defend him no matter what team you are, let alone a Brooklyn Nets team which doesn't have the size or acumen or physicality um, to just beast a guy this. Yes, Jared Allen can get some blocks on him here and there, um, but Giannis Antetokounmpo is an MVP and or will be an MVP, sorry. Um, and he's just an absolute monster. And I think that if he somehow is he's forced to take some jumpers or his teammates can't step up or Brook Lopez misses some threes, then maybe the Nets can get lucky. If we get if we get a win against Milwaukee, um, then I, I think we make the playoffs. Yeah, I think they might actually have to get maybe one of these wins against Milwaukee. I'm a little bit more positive where they're playing a back-to-back. So I wouldn't be surprised maybe Giannis still plays the game, but maybe somebody else like Middleton or Brooke Lopez gets some rest. Is this a situation where maybe you're like, all right, let's let Giannis get 40 or 50 and just make sure that nobody else is getting, you know, knocking down all the threes? Yeah, I mean, maybe that's the way to go. I think a, a lot of other teams have tried that tack as well. But because Giannis is such a great passer, he naturally isn't the sort of guy, like a sort of James Harden, just sort of individually or Kobe, sort of individually sort of just take over a game. He's a little bit more LeBron-like in the fact that, yes, he can be individually dominant, but his individual dominance generally brings up his teammates at the same time. He finds open lanes. You know, his driving opens up the perimeter. Um, so I think naturally, if Giannis is going to dominate, then his teammates are going to be decent as well. Uh, just purely because of how he played. Do you think, what would you do if you were the Nets in this situation facing the Bucks? What would be your best, you know, schematic plan to kind of beat this team or at least give yourself an opportunity to beat them? You know, in the previous matchups, that necessarily hasn't been close. You want to give yourself a chance to win with four minutes remaining in the fourth quarter at home where the Nets have been good. Four straight wins what? at home. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at the Utah Jazz and what they did in playing um, Rudy Gobert on him. You know, do the Nets experiment and play Jared Allen for a certain period on him and just just give up the the lane to anyone else except for Giannis and um, experiment with that. That could be, you know, a challenge to throw the young guy. Um, it's just something to throw out there. I'm not 100% sure. I think he would get absolutely monstered and eaten alive by the Greek freak at the same time. But it's a challenge to throw at him. And if it doesn't work, then so be it. Maybe throw Ed Davis out there just for some minutes. Um, I honestly have no answers. It's um, it, He literally leaves you just throwing out the playbook and just going... I don't know. Just to just to try and stop him. He's a freak. Yeah, that's yeah. That's they they ran Jared out on uh, Jared Allen. Jared Allen at him a little bit in the last matchup. It worked okay. Obviously, at the blocks, but he actually can probably out muscle Jared Allen. That's not really saying a ton because he's so young. Doesn't necessarily have the muscle. They'd have to come up with something really creative. Maybe some type of zone like they've thrown at James Harden or Kemba Walker in the past. Maybe the zone could help them in this matchup. I'm not sure. They would just have to play some really good team ball and hope that Milwaukee misses some of these threes they've been knocking down all year. Jose says, I think they need to push the ball when the opportunity rises is the best way to beat the Bucks. So you think ball movement could be a key in terms of uh, the Nets securing an upset win? Yeah, I think that's, you know, a key in almost any win, you know, for the Nets pushing the ball in transition. I thought uh, Boston did a really good job of transition defense tonight. You know, you try to push a team, make them exert energy, and then also ball movement against any team, you know, you're just putting more pressure on them to try to defend you across the perimeter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that when the Nets are at their best, the, the ball is fizzing around. We've sort of heard that plenty of times from the coaching staff. And, you know, D'Lo obviously sets the stand in that department. Um, and and I th- we won the assist battle tonight. If the Nets can have 20 assists plus, you know, 22 tonight, then I think it'll go a long way. But at the same time, you know, the Bucks love to move the ball liberally. They have great um, options on the perimeter as well. 
they play great basketball. They're a, they're a title favorite we spoke about on the outlet. And um, we're going to have to play at our absolute best and hope that the Bucks are off their game a little bit to get the W. Yeah, because things aren't looking good on the other end in terms of the other teams losing. It looks like Detroit is now up 87-73 in the fourth quarter with three remaining. Orlando is now up on the Pacers, 115-108. And the Knicks have a four-point lead in the third quarter over the Heat. So it's going to be on the Nets to win these games. Jack, I asked Will this uh, last show. What's your confidence level for the Nets making the playoffs? Yeah, I listened to this and I'm like, oh, thanks for the nice shout out on the, <laughs> on the pessimism, my dude. Um, when I'm gone, give me criticism. At least I'll at least I I'll in- some love. I told you, I, I told him I missed you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> at least I'll insult Corey to his face rather than behind him. I'll do both. I, I insult Corey all the time. Um, confidence level, uh, 45%. Oh, I see. I wasn't. Yeah, I uh, I criticized you, but I wasn't that far off in what your uh, your guess would be. I, I think can't, I, I can't I be any higher. Like it's it's there. It, we have the hardest stretch in the NBA against some of the best teams. Yes, destiny's in our hands. We're playing good. There'll be some rested games here and there, but um, until maybe like the final game, I, I literally can't maintain any semblance of above fifty fifty until it's there. Like there's no reason for me to be overly optimistic because. Um, my results and my optimism could be shattered into a thousand pieces. Yeah, I'm going to stay where I was at. I think I said like 65%. I feel confident in the sense that the Nets control their own destiny. And the other thing I mentioned is I like the fact that a lot of these teams face each other over this final stretch. So there's a lot of situations where it's a win-win for the Nets where let's say I think Orlando has to face Charlotte or Miami or something like that. So the Nets are going to walk out with a positive in one of those matchups. Yeah, and obviously, you know, with the teams around us starting to get those wins, we need to continue to play winning basketball um, as much as anything. I don't care how the Nets play as long as we win. If we win 85 to 78 against the Bucks and the Heat and the Pacers and the Bucks again and, and everyone else, then um, I'll take it any day of the week because, you know, um, pretty basketball sometimes doesn't necessarily mean winning basketball. As long as we get the wins, you know, be it through offensive masterpieces or just, you know, pretty hard zone defense, uh, I don't really care. Jack, if you had to make a prediction real quick, the Nets have five games, two being against Milwaukee, one against Toronto, one Indiana, one against Miami. What's your their final record over this five-game stretch? I think they win two or three of those matchups. So you got to give me a confirmation. It's either two and three or three and two. This is going to be uh, a deciding factor for you if you're pessimistic or if you're optimistic. Well, I'm a pessimist, so it's two. It's two. So we're going to end up with a 500 record. I'm going to go with three and two, just to be the you know the yin to the yang here. But Jack, anything else you want to uh, touch on before we get out of here? Uh, just uh, thoroughly impressed with all the fans who always join us in the YouTube and doing these live shows. Always good to be back. Going to be good to be in person. Um, it's some of our fans are a little bit depressed, like we um, from unruly staff. We don't get in. I don't know when I'm gonna watch the game in the playoffs. I'm gonna be too, too depressed. Um, I think unruly stars been listening to me too much on the buzz and JBC. Yeah, he need, he needs some positive uh, vibes to go his way. You know, big shout out to everybody on YouTube, all the people listening to Blog Talk, iTunes, whatever it may be. Really appreciate it. Also, shout out to the Nets fans for being really live tonight at Barclays Center. They're gonna need that over this final stretch against some of these big matchups. But as always, Jack, a pleasure, and thank you everybody for listening. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.